0: I had lots of angel checks come in the form of single thousands of dollars, and it meant a lot. At the time, I needed the money and it propelled me forward. And so if you have the capacity as an investor, think about like the fact that you do have a gut for some of these businesses, and it's not charity whatsoever. If you can see something that somebody else can't, that's an arbitrage opportunity.
1: Ambika Singh is the founder and CEO of Armoire, a personalized clothing rental membership that gives you access to thousands of high-end styles for one flat monthly price. Ambika's passion for fashion, sustainability, and bringing women joy ignited her vision for Armoire. Tune in to hear how she created a successful direct-to-consumer business in a cutthroat industry and all of her insights on raising capital. Coming up, You'll hear about the surprising start to Amwar. Ambika shares her advice on female founders raising capital and how to find helpers during your fundraising journey. And finally, how your customers can become your partners in business. This is the Entrepreneista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Amica, I am so excited to have this conversation today. And I have to tell all of our listeners, when... We have conversations with founders whose products we are using and doing business with. It makes it even more exciting to like really get to the bottom of how the heck did you build this business? Because now being a customer of yours for the past month and seeing the intricacies of this business that you've built. And all I can think about as a business owner is just the operations and the behind the scenes of actually executing this business. I have so many questions for you. So I am so excited that you are here today to answer all of the questions I've had in my mind for the past month. So thank you for being here.
0: <laughs> hey, thank you so much for trying it. And it sounds like maybe really enjoying it. It is, this is the why. This is why I do this. This is why I started it. And I'm really happy to hear that it is part of your life now.
1: Yes. Well, before we dive into the behind the scenes of how you have built this business, I would love if you could take me back to your childhood, to the early days. Did you always know that you wanted to have your own business one day?
0: Well, so related to your, your point about like how complex this business is, one of uh, the, the family lore stories is that even as a very small child, I had a lot of ideas and my career path was a by day career path. So on Monday, I was going to be a quilt maker. On Tuesday, I was going to be a teacher. On Wednesday, I was going to be a bus driver and I had a lot of ideas and I thought my job should rotate every day. And it was a seven day work schedule, of course, because why would you not be a quilt maker and just sit around (laughs) instead? So my parents always remind me that I was ambitious and varied in my ambition. And so I think Armour has a lot of that early Bika in her.
1: Did you start businesses as a kid? I think I tried, you know,
0: just like probably a lot of, a lot of us. One that's really interesting that I have stayed connected with is that I was a Girl Scout and one little known fact is that the largest entrepreneurship program for young women in America is selling cookies. You decide who your target list is, what is your strategy, what is your sales pitch So you got some help on the supply chain in terms of the fact that like the product's coming to you with pricing, but I was a ambitious cookie seller. And that's one of the ones that sticks out to me in terms of like, I think I I thought it was really thrilling to sell my product and like figure out how it was going to happen. And so, yeah, that was the part of Girl Scouts that I really remember being attached to.
1: I am with you on that. And I talk about this all the time. Like I also got my start as an entrepreneurista selling Girl Scout cookies. And I still remember that feeling of being a top seller. And I feel like that just like changed my my life and my view of the world. It was like, had to figure out how to make a business from everything. Oh, someone wants something? Like, how do I make a business to, to sell it? And I actually was posting on my, I feel like I still sell for Girl Scouts because I'm always posting about my whole story last night was actually about Armoire and Thin Mints and our neighbor in our neighborhood, her daughter selling Girl Scout cookies. So I actually just reposted her story to help her sell because she's got her pitch down. Like, I just, I love it. And I will say Girl Scouts was a client of ours at, at Social Fly.
0: That's awesome.
1: So it all it all came full circle. And I love that. They are really creating that next generation of of women leaders for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, and one of the things that I think are more in all of us who are starting and running businesses that you learn very quickly is like, this business and you are one and the same. And so learning to put yourself out there and learning that when somebody says, no, I don't want your cookies, it's okay. It's amazing like how at least for me, the sting is always so much less painful than what I anticipate it's going to feel like. Like the fear of failure and the actual failure are so different that it's all those sort of like adages of fail fast or, you know, get it over with those kinds of things. I really believe in that because it's that anticipation before you fall down that is really scary. Falling down, you can pick yourself up again.
1: I love that. Thank you for sharing that. All right, so tell me what happened after Girl Scouts. Tell me about your your career path and what led you to start your business.
0: After Girl Scouts, I had another so I am the child of an entrepreneur. So certainly running businesses was part of our family ethos. I think one of the really interesting things that I saw was that my dad ran what was a small business and became a successful business, but in the early days everyone who worked at the business was at our house. They were part of our family and I was at the office. And so this kind of like beautiful blending, in my opinion, of like work and life, I really saw that happen in a powerful way. I think small businesses are, I don't think I've ever met someone who says I run my small business, you know, in my spare time, small businesses are consuming both the time you spend, Physically present with them and also the time you spend in your mind thinking about them. And so being able to see how that could have a positive effect on your personal life, on your kids, et cetera, was really powerful for me. So I think my impression of running businesses was very positive growing up. I went to a really interesting school at the age of 13, so seventh grade. It was a brand new school. So It's a public school and it had in Washington, we don't have true charters, but it was the equivalent of like a charter school. And we started that business. It was one third teachers, one third students and one third parents. That was sort of like the commitment to be a part of it. (laughs) The middle school was housed on a high school campus. So you can imagine in the 90s, we had those rolling backpacks. The high schoolers would come back by and kick the backpack out and the middle schooler would go flying against the locker not cute, but also a very like visible metaphor for what it's like to start a small business. Sometimes, sometimes you go flying against the lockers. Um, So (laughs) it, it was a really interesting at a very young age experience of being, I think the school did an amazing job of giving the students a feeling of being an equal partner sort of the success and failure of how this thing happened. I stayed there through my high school career. So my, basically my pre-college environment was this very entrepreneurial environment. We were aware of the fact that like it was being built on a shoestring budget. It had big things to accomplish if it was to survive. And so a lot of those, you know, lessons that we talk about with our businesses were um, sort of part of my everyday life at a young age. And so I'm really grateful for that experience. The school has done super well and continues to persist. And so that, I guess, like positive lesson of like what it feels like to build something that is built to last was like an early lesson for me. So I loved that. I went to college on the East Coast. I came back and worked at Microsoft, like a good Seattle woman. (laughs) It was a great place to grow up professionally. And But you know, the small business called. And so I left. I worked at two different startups, really loved it. Was and this is kind of like now I'm getting close to 30 and I'm feeling the itch of like, is it my time to do this? And I made an interesting decision to go to business school at that point. I got a lot of advice from men and women alike about whether it was a good idea or not. And one really pointed thing I remember was a man that I worked for who was a great like mentor, sponsor of mine had a good set of data that some of you may have heard that women tend to over-educate, over-credential. And so he had this like sit down with me and he was like, you want to do this? Like you don't need any of that like school stuff and whatever. Like I'll give you a sabbatical, like you go figure this out, but like um, you're ready to to do it and you don't need somebody's like stamp of approval. And it was really interesting because like, I guess, Coming from like somebody that I respected, it really made me think about like, is this like why I'm doing this? It didn't change my path. I still went, and and going to business school was like a huge part of why I did start Armor and why I think it was successful. But it was it was like an interesting thing that has stuck with me um, as a good lesson of like it, at junctures where I am making decisions like that, I I asked myself, like, is this, am I looking for external validation um, about like, whether I can take the next step forward? Or is this like, truly something that I need? And, you know, these things like, unfortunately, you can't put them into a spreadsheet and get like, right or wrong out the other side so I guess I'll never really know but it does it's like a good thing to ask yourself and it is true that women tend to to overcompensate for what for whatever it is that you are attempting to overcompensate for perhaps but fast forward I went to business school I had an amazing experience and Armour was certainly born there I feel really grateful it's um, we laugh about it now that it was born at school It went through a bunch of different classes. All of my friends worked on it in marketing and ops and finance. It has lots of like interesting business problems that we're still trying to solve. So we took it apart and kind of like worked on it. And I found my first founding team there, my first customers. And it was, you know, it was a great place to bring it up. And so at base, what I was looking for was a business that I felt deeply connected to and inspired by. And so that led me to the target customer. And like I went through sort of like a scientific, unscientific process of trying to like test out different ideas. And one of the things that I kept like coming back to was that I really wanted to focus on an audience that I cared about that I felt like would carry me in terms of inspiration. I had come from tech. And so I'd spent a bunch of time like working with developers and then I was the second employee at Rover and so I worked with dogs and families and like so there was uh, there was elements of like B2B and B2C that I had seen but something about sort of like professional women really I was them they were me and I felt like that was incredibly inspiring so after kind of like zeroing in on that I did sort of my own version of like design thinking studies I talked to 500 women about things that went on in their lives and like problems that they had and things that felt, you know, challenging or opportunities or things that brought them joy. And I, uh, one of the cool things that I did, and this is why God bless business school. give a lot of time. <laughs> like it's so different than, and I didn't have kids then. And so, you know, I had a lot of time to think and plan. And so i spent time in doing these interviews in people's homes. And so you kind of like got to watch them live and think and feel And this closet with women, we spent a lot of time around the closet (laughs) talking about how much stuff was in it, how it made them feel. The most repeated word was guilty, which men find very surprising, even now, seven years later, whenever I tell this story, women never find it surprising, which is like interesting, but people felt guilty about how much stuff was in there, how they wanted new things, how the closet was unworn. Maybe it didn't represent the size that they were today. So they, it made them feel bad, but on the counter side, it appeared to control a lot of the cash that was floating around. So it's like, here's this asset that we've spent a lot of money and time on, and it seems to be making us unhappy. What's going on here? So I was very intrigued by the closet and people's relationship to it. And that's what led me to thinking through our And our is, as you've said, you have been using it very exciting. The two kind of like pillars are more the three pillars of Armoire is that it is a rented closet. So I really reacted to that idea of sort of like the guilt around like the stuff, just like filling up and the wanting of more stuff. I grew up sharing clothes and thought it was lovely and fun. And so rental to me is like that expression helped by the internet. It is also, I think has to be part of our sustainability answer to the apparel industry in the modern era. If we want the planet to survive long enough for our kids to live on it. So those kind of like dual things about like, Bringing joy to these women that I cared so much about and also doing my part to leave the world behind in a better place really led me to rental. The time with curating the asset led me to a curated solution. I was very interested to hear, you know, like how much people sort of like spent time, made mistakes, felt angst around like choosing the thing and then figuring out how to choose the next thing. And so That plus the fact that like it's a really interesting technology problem. How do we really be predictive about what people want to wear, which is like one of the most intimate things that we do on a daily basis. So curation is the second pillar of our more. And the last is the focus on the working woman, the boss lady, as we call her. These women as this, is, this audience knows we tend to do an inordinate amount, holding up our families, holding up our communities, holding up our workplaces. And it felt like if there was a little joy that I could bring to somebody's life, I missed the MD track, so I wasn't going to be saving any lives. <laughs> so maybe my second best was to be delivering joy to a community that I cared about. And so those three things to me are RMR. It's rented, it's curated, and it focuses on the boss lady.
1: Well, I have so many questions for you. So much to unpack from sharing all of that. So thank you for all of the background and context. So we have a lot to dive into now. But my first question, when you made that choice to go to business school, did you already have this idea for Armar or did it come about in the early days of when you started at business school?
0: Not at all. And I explored things that were way different than our more. I was really interested for a while about this idea of um, loneliness in America, which this is in the pre-pandemic era. So now that problem is like even more acute, particularly as it affects elderly people in America. So we are only one or two generations away from the joint family model, which is amazing because I think in America that feels like it must have been you know lifetimes ago. But Up until very recently, we used to live as a joint family. And so this physical distance of people away from others is a really new thing. And we're only beginning to understand the ramifications of it. And so, uh, yeah, I thought deeply about elderly loneliness and like kind of what community could do about that, what technology could do about that. There were some interesting like VR things going on where you could send people through experiences that they may have had in the past that would really bring joy. So super different than where I ended up. (laughs) I was very curious about um, most people's feet are actually two different sizes. And I thought like, wow, what if you could really get two shoes that actually fit your two feet so that one foot is not compensating for the other foot your entire life? And I thought about like a warehouse with like some kind of... Was the market size
1: too small to go after that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think the supply chain looked really complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Like the Excel spreadsheet looked very scary. (laughs) There wasn't sort of, I think, like the meatiness around, like I care about people's feet, but I care about their hearts more. So I think eventually... You know, in the scheme of things, that one didn't kind of like stick with me in the same way. And I, I would say that thir- the thing that like again kept drawing me back to armoire was that people were really excited about it. We still use this term like the dream closet because like that's women's faces would light up when I described like what this dream would look like. It's a closet that you don't own, but it, it has everything you've ever imagined in it.
1: Yeah, it's literally the best thing ever. Like I could go and rent, you know, if I'm going on vacation, now I can rent some of these Lily Poulter dresses that I'm never going to go to the store and spend $300 on these dresses. I walk by it in the mall and I'm like, are they having their sale? Maybe I'll consider it. But I also don't feel like being in the mall and trying on dresses. Now I can just go on the app and pick out the things I want to try, send them to me. I'll try them on the comfort of my own home because I don't have time to rent to the mall anyways. And now I have the dresses I want to wear. It's the best thing ever. So thank you for solving this problem for all of us. On behalf of everyone, thank you.
0: I also love that you brought up the on-sale thing because there are so many kind of like micro lessons in sort of how we dress ourselves that I think like we can extend out. So stay with me on this because it's like a little exoteric, but basically I was always an on-sale shopper. So just like you, right? It's like, maybe I wanted that, purple dress, but the yellow ones on sale, so I'm going to buy the yellow one. And it's amazing how like you teach yourself how to make decisions when you're doing these sort of like unrelated things. And I think there's like translation of that into other aspects of our lives sometimes where we're like, okay, I'm going to make this practical decision because it's smart. It's not necessarily what I want. And trying to figure out the difference between what I want and what is practical, especially as I've become a parent, the conflation of those things has become so complicated that sometimes I'm like not even sure what I want because I'm so sure that I should take the practical thing that it's like hard for me to figure out the difference. And so I love that people... This is a tagless shopping experience. You actually have to ask yourself what you want because there's no tag to tell you that like, this is the price and this is price to value. It's like, no, Steph, what do you actually want today?
1: Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I actually like being able to see what the retail value is to know, like, I'm never going to go to the store and buy that. I'm just not going to do that. And also when you wear, like for me, we're doing an event. If I'm going to go buy a $400 dress for an event, I'm going to be at all of these photos wearing that dress. I'm not going to wear it again. So now I've spent $400 and I have a dress sitting in a closet where I could just rent it, wear this awesome dress. And now someone else gets to wear this awesome dress. because I'm going to send it back. So it's the best thing ever. So thank you again.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. And that's the guilty thing. You see the dress and then you feel bad about it. Instead, one of my favorite things to do is to like read the customer feedback. And from very early days, People would write something like, I really wanted to hang on to this dress for another week, but then I thought somebody else might have an amazing meeting date moment in it. So I'm actually sending it back. And this like difference between like the guilt you feel with hoarding something (laughs) versus like the joy you feel that somebody else might experience joy. It's like another great life lesson of the fact that like, if you hoard all of those, that joy to yourself, it's like, it's just a one-time hit. But if you can figure out ways to like pass it on, it somehow is this thing that like keeps giving back to you.
1: Up next, the shocking feedback that Ambika heard from a male investor. All right. So we have a lot of founders in our Entrepreneur League community that are currently raising capital right now. And as you know, from successfully raising capital, it is not easy to do so. I would love for you to share about your fundraising journey and how that process went, and any advice or inspiration you could give our entrepreneurs who are currently out there raising right now.
0: So, my first piece of advice is don't. All of the smartest, most seasoned founders told me this too in the beginning, and I didn't listen. So, one of you, please like take the sage advice from the smart ladies who have come before us. If you can, don't. The reason that I say that is like I think there is so much allure around raising money and we are made to believe that it is a step in the direction. And again, like if you think about how old that industry is, it is a relatively new experience that we think that you need to raise inordinate amounts of capital before you take the first step on that business. And actually, little known fact, most small businesses in America are actually owned by women. So if you think about the way that those numbers stack up against venture numbers, where 2% of women get venture funding, we know how to run businesses. We're good at it. We've been good at it. We are potentially kind of like shifting models that work into this like relatively new model that appears really flashy and cool because it gets a lot of media coverage and stuff but it's not necessarily the best model for most businesses and so i found it like very surprising to learn that women run most businesses in america because i feel like that kind of like we should have deep confidence actually versus like when you look at the venture numbers you think oh can can women really do this is the deck stacked against us no we know what we're doing. We're good at this. We've been doing it for generations. And so my first piece of advice, yes, is like follow our the women who came before us, run that great business where the costs and the profits make sense. And you know that your unit economics speak to the labor you need and the capital you need and the CapEx you need and all that kind of stuff. Personally, I am on my journey to that later than I should have been. I wish that I would have from the beginning, listen to the sage advice of like making sure that the business was always running profitably. We actually, we spent years kind of like investing investor capital, which I'm very grateful to have. And it did provide us acceleration that would have been hard to get, but considering the path of the last seven years, as you know, we all know, lots of random stuff happens (laughs) that you could have never foreseen. And just like you're at-home checkbook if you're living within your means you hold all of that control versus if you need something from outside you are now beholden to the outside instead of to the inside so that's my first piece of advice if your business requires that you raise capital then you should go out and do it with a lot of confidence that we that you can make it happen and the reason that again like I think that this narrative is not loud enough my journey to raising money was all about other women sticking up for me and taking a chance on me and making sure that I got across the finish line. And that is a story that is not apparent in the data. None of the data is wrong. So I'm like not here to tell you that women aren't like money's falling on their heads or any of that. But what the data won't tell you is that there is this community that is really focused on the fact that at the top, they don't want to be alone. And it is such a difference between the way that I think men are looking at success I have had almost a hundred percent of women who are you know successful and ahead of me be super helpful and come out to bat for me. So my first piece of advice would be look for the helpers and they usually will look like you. The way that that translated for me was like a lot of my investors, even male investors, the women around them helped in terms of like they are consumers of our product. They love it. They sort of were my allies on the inside around the dining table or, you know, where those decisions were being made. So I cultivated those relationships and it paid off for me. So if your product, mine is particularly focused on women, so it was even more important for me to have that. But the pattern matching situation is real. And so if you can find allies around the table who find you to be inspiring, I think that has been really effective for me. The other thing that I would say is that like this part is apparent in the data. The burden is higher. And particularly, I think the burden is higher because we don't pattern match to CEOs that have walked through investors' doors before. And if you are building a business focused on women as consumers like I am, that burden is higher because I heard this articulated by a man early in my journey very well. He said listen, the problem with your business for me is I don't have a gut for it. So you obviously, I am fortunate to have a great academic background behind me. I've worked at a lot of great companies. So, you know, he said, you obviously have a resume that like would stand up to building a great business, but I don't understand your business and I don't have a gut for it.
1: What did it you was say to really, that?
0: It was very sobering for me because it wasn't sort of like, you know, In the media world, you imagine that this man is, like, such an asshole and he hates you because – and that's why he's not going to invest in you because, like, he wants you to not succeed. That, like, wasn't the sentiment. It was, like, more of a very honest, like, human sentiment of, like, I just don't understand you or this. And it was – it's hard to argue with.
1: How do you combat that? You know, did you get him to invest?
0: I didn't. I didn't. He walked away with that as sort of, like, the feedback. I don't know how you can combat that other than perhaps like my first point where like you do find someone who has a gut for it. But the problem with that is that like around the table, again, the data is not lying. Women are not writing checks anywhere close to the volume that men are. That said, I did have a few customers turned investors who had never written an angel check before who were part of my early rounds. So I think, hats off to them and to all of us who have capacity. Angel checks, by the way, do not need to come in the form of like millions of dollars. I had lots of angel checks come in the form of single thousands of dollars. And it meant a lot. At the time I needed the money and it propelled me forward. And so if you have the capacity as an investor, think about like the fact that you do have a gut for some of these businesses and it's not charity, whatsoever. If you can see something that somebody else can't, that's an arbitrage opportunity.
1: As you know, one of our missions is to help founders get access to this capital and all the learning lessons from you and other founders who have raised. But our other mission, too, is to activate a base of these women investors who may not have had access to some of these deals or opportunities. So we started essentially this SPV vehicle and community called Pearl Influential Capital. So we've done about six SPVs over the past year where we're activating our network of women, not just founders, but, you know, also influencers and, you know, women that are in the corporate world, they're trying to learn about angel investing and getting into the world of startups and this asset class and providing that education, because as you said, We need more women investors. So, as we're building these businesses, and again, it doesn't have to be going out and raising, you know, $10 million, but you might want to raise $100,000 or $200,000 to get your business off the ground. And that's okay. Look, if you could do it without the capital, by all means, like that's how we started our first business. We bootstrapped everything. And as we signed new clients, but as you know, tech based businesses, other businesses, some businesses do require some capital to get started. And if we can, As a community, come together and write these $2,500 checks, $5,000 checks. And, you know, we're going to create more wealth for women and be able to invest in more women. And that's how we're going to make change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And particularly when I think about the consumer facing businesses that women are running, they are directed at children, elderly people, women, people of color. And so, but all of us like have a different lens. Like I, I talked about in the beginning so much like of me, who I am is what led me to this business. So if there's only one kind of person following their heart towards businesses that focus on that consumer, we know where that ends us up. Finally, you know, we have like breast pumps that weren't the same that our grandmothers were using. But, you know, it's like there are a lot of opportunities to make people's lives better. And if the entrepreneurs all look the same, like we're not going to attack those problems.
1: Absolutely. Well, speaking of problems, we always like to find solutions, but I do like to hear about some of the problems and challenges when launching a business and now, you know, scaling this, I would say probably very physical labor intensive business, but also a tech business, like you're doing all of the hardest things together in one package, but solving all these problems. Can you tell me what are some of the big challenges that you, you know, have gone through over the past couple of years and how do you go about problem solving?
0: Yeah, it's an incredibly complex business. And I think the first gift that I was given was I had no concept of how complicated it is. And so, you know, I thought, okay, well, she put some clothes in a box. It's just like sharing with my cousin. It's no big deal. I clean them on one side and like I send them out, like how hard can this be? We are running a full-fledged you know, D2C business in one of the most competitive industries. Fashion is not for the faint of heart, and there's a lot of competition for eyeballs. Um, so you know, we are a great brand and marketing company as a result. This is a high-touch service business. We are competing with the best. We are intimately involved in our customers' lives, which means we've got to show up every day. So we are a best-in-class services business. The operations are amazingly complicated. We do six to seven touches on an item. So for anyone who's like familiar with a warehouse, you you almost never want to touch the item even more than once. So the fact that we are, you know, three, four times more kind of like intense on how we move the clothes around, it's an incredibly complicated logistics business. And like you said, the tech is first of its kind. We are literally trying to use our own customers' feedback to curate an experience for them that says i can be predictive about what you would like. So all four of these things are require us to be best in class across the board where, you know, it would be amazing normally to be best in class in one of these things. So in terms of like how we we sort of like move forward every day, i think it's similar frankly to like the lesson of how to get started and how to another question that I get asked a lot is like, I ran a rental fashion company through the pandemic for three years. Like, how did that happen? All of these things come back to one foot in front of the other. And can I do something today that I didn't do yesterday and feel some kind of satisfaction? Because like, ultimately this running a small business and particularly being the founder or the CEO is, it's a lot of like you and your mind time. (laughs) And it's like, can you beat back the negativity in your own head so that you can keep keep going. And so I try not always successfully for sure to focus on that like what can I do today and making sure that I actually get something done today because the paralysis around like do I fix the logistics today, do I work on the marketing, do I do all of these things like That paralysis is really real and that days can go by. And again, like this obviously still happens to me, like probably one out of every five days every week where I'm like, oh God, I like went down the black hole and I didn't really do anything today because I freaked out. (laughs) Like that happens, but you have to try to figure out, yeah, like chunk it out into a piece. What can I do in the next hour? What can I do today? That kind of stuff. And and it's like one foot in front of the other.
1: What has been the thing that has surprised you the most since starting this business?
0: That's a great question. I think this sort of the fear and the anxiety was, was surprising to me. I guess I thought, and I was maybe like in some ways prepared for like the big highs and the big lows. Like I, I had a sense for the fact that like when things really don't work, that's going to hurt and that will be terrible. And when we win big, it'll be awesome. I think I wasn't prepared for like the slow burn anxiety that's sort of like always there. <laughs> Where you're kind of like, what's, what's gonna, gonna happen? happen? What's gonna happen yeah. next? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that part is, I would say, unpleasantly surprising.
1: What do you do or you know, have you done to just help yourself through these moments or the anxiety, or do you do things to help with your mental health or physical health to get you through it all? Because it is, you know, being a founder and and running a business, I feel like for me, like just feeling so responsible for all of our employees and like for entrepreneurs, so like all of our members and their businesses and just like, like always feeling like you have the weight of the world on you and then feeling like you have to do stuff to take care of yourself to release because feeling like that all the time is not good for anyone.
0: (laughs) No. One thing, and maybe this sounds crazy, but I do take a lot of kind of like, I guess, comfort in the fact that like, I most of the time show up and do my best. And so when I don't do my best, that is really painful and a hard loop to talk myself out of. So most of the time I do my best. Not to say that that actually like the outcome does not always match the effort, of course. But like when it's late at night and you're by yourself you have that like comfort of I showed up I did my best that is frankly all any of us can do so I think try to set yourself up so that you have that moment and you won't always right there's certainly things that were like I didn't do my best and those ones like eat at me but most of the time try to do your best and then give yourself peace with that that's all you can do I think the other thing for me that And this I think is like in my DNA to some extent, the work and life, we kind of talked about this in the beginning is very blended for me. And that works for me. I think it doesn't for everybody, but because I grew up in that environment, I feel a lot of fluidity and that, that helps me. So like I go walking with people who work for me or you know I do like outside stuff with my blended sort of like people who work w- with us and my family my kid comes to the office a lot so i think it's really tough when you feel like you need to be in two places at once cuz none of us can so for me giving me space to make those worlds blended really helps me kind of like feel like i'm showing up in both both places and that allows me to kind of like fit in the things that I need to fit in. So I am like a pretty active person. I get a lot of comfort from that. So to your point about like mental health, like my, my best recovery drink is to like go outside and breathe the fresh air.
1: Very important. (laughs) Very
0: important. It is like amazing what a walk around outside will do for your clarity, I think. So I spend a good amount of time. I wish it was more outside being active. I probably you've seen this, but there's like this great video that I think it was like at the Navy's graduation about making your bed and how important it is to like have something that you do every day that gives you like a sense of accomplishment, no matter what, how the day goes for me, like doing a small, even if it's like, I have a seven minute workout that I do, but like doing something where I'm like, I showed up for my body. It gives me a sense of of accomplishment. So I really try to do something every day.
1: That's so great. I love that. I know the making your bed video, I'm like, I'm never going to be someone to make my own bed. And that's okay because I don't have to do that. I can choose something else.
0: (laughs) I I never make my bed. I took that lesson and I was like, what could
1: what fits in my? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's totally fine. Coming up, you'll hear about the value of having women as angel investors. All right, I'm going to ask you a few very rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Describe yourself in three words.
0: Energetic, excited, and
1: what's the third one? Out loud. What is your favorite business tool that's helped you in your business? Slack. Can't live without it. Yeah. Do you have a hidden talent?
0: (sighs) Um, I wish. I would say maybe my my hidden talent is to like bring some exuberance to the world.
1: I love that. Yes, that is a hidden talent. And finally, last rapid fire question. What is the craziest thing that's happened to you in your business?
0: COVID? (laughs) I mean, that was a wild one.
1: Like that all definitely of the was. models
0: <laughs> in the world, did not say that the working woman will stop going to work. I would say that is it has to just be the most crazy thing that I never saw coming.
1: Still to this day, I think for, for everyone for sure. Okay, back to our regularly uh, scheduled questions. So longer answers here. I actually do have a question about about COVID. Tell me how you handled what happened for you, like emotionally during that time, because here you are building this business of raised capital. You built a business for women that are shopping and going to work. That all stops. You have a team. And now the pandemic happens. Like, how did you emotionally handle that stress, that pressure, the everything? You, were you already a mom at that point? Or you had your child during the pandemic?
0: I have a COVID baby. So he you came after baby Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: He came after. <laughs> Funny
0: story, actually. One of the reasons I wasn't the mom who was like, I'm definitely going to have kids. I'm really close to my family. So I think I had a more than positive outlook on children, but I certainly wasn't like, a, I must do this to cross the path. <laughs> I remember probably like five or six months in, my husband and I were like, oh, this is like how, what it will be like, you know, after we stop working. And like, it's just going to be me and you. And we were like, this is great, but we need to have a third person. Otherwise, we're going to go insane. <laughs> so I would actually credit the credit COVID. Credit with your baby. <laughs> yes. I'm a, someday when Kacen is older, I'll tell him in a nice way. <laughs> this was a positive outcome for mommy and daddy. We realized we needed a third person in the house. <laughs> At least
1: there was some good.
0: <laughs> At least there was some good. Our more COVID story is less shiny I was in India for my brother's engagement party, which was on March 8th. We got wind of this cold and flu that was going around. And if you remember, actually, the first COVID case was very close to Seattle, just outside Mm -hmm. of Seattle. And so at that point, we also kind of like were hearing of it as this like localized flu in Seattle. So I have always had the great fortune of having an amazing team basically from day one and the, and lots of the humans have changed but very lucky to have these people who are in many cases my friends or started as friends certainly have become friends over time so i was in close contact with them and they decided that the best thing to do would be to close the office the the desk kind of desk part of the office mm-hmm. keep the warehouse running for a week and i actually decided i would stay in india and work remotely For Mm. an extra week, because like, why not? We flew back and our connection was in Europe. And the first thing that came onto my phone when I, when we were landing in Germany was Trump seals the borders from Europe. And I was like, oh boy, (laughs) as we found out they were still, Americans were still being let back in. But, you know, that was the first like, okay, this is like more than the flu, So I got back, I went straight from the airport to this kind of like pseudo war room that we had set up in our office and the leadership team all came in and we were there for probably 10 or 12 hours. We have an outsourced HR company who, amazing women Mm -hmm. who kind of came by physically to kind of like help us talk through this. And we basically made this like three-step plan that was like the worst middle and like catastrophic case this was worse than than our Mm -hmm. worst imagination and the plan was basically you know like what happens to demand what do we have to do if demand like really falls off we were built for I guess this is like relevant for me to say 2019 we grew 350 percent in a year so we were built for a whole quarter ahead because we were growing at a pace mm-hmm. that, you know, there was no way that you could pay, play catch up. We could barely build ourselves like ahead that fast and keep up. So we were not only built for the volume that we had, we were built, you know, for and when you're growing at that pace, right, we were built for almost like 30 percent bigger than us. So mm-hmm. we knew we were in a really tight spot. We just didn't realize how tight of a spot we mm-hmm. were in. So these were the darkest days of my career, for sure. We closed the warehouse, lots of tears. And, mm-hmm. you know, these people still now have been with us from the beginning. So it was n- nowhere close to sort of like a transactional experience. And there's deep belief in small companies, as you know, and people give up their lives and all the, all the things. So we laid off 40% of the company in one day in a way that was just so painful mm-hmm. and uh then we we kind of survived so the beautiful part of the story that will be the part that like gets all the kind of the pretty parts of the coverage and stuff and like the accolades are like yes the business did survive we made all the hardest decisions we sort of like we kept it afloat the part that is like, so painful and will will sort of like not get talked about is like, what is that human cost? It was Mm -hmm. horrible. So I don't know. There isn't like much of a silver lining for me of like, Hey, this, these were all the great things that I
1: learned. It was like, this was a really hard. Yeah. But you, you got through it and, you know, entrepreneurs are some of the most resilient people. And I think it's, you know, the ones that are able to get through these really, hard, hard times and find solutions and thrive. And you're clearly a a testament to that. And you know, you could have just given up and shut down and said, I'm not going to do this and close the business, but you kept going. And because of that, you are now solving all of my problems. <laughs> so thanks again.
0: I'm so glad. And the, some of the silver linings did come after. I mean, one of the things that we're super proud of is that everyone who we furloughed at that time we have been able to invite them back and most of them came back amazingly and that huge kudos to our whole warehouse team and the management because they kept in touch with people On a weekly, sometimes daily basis, we were super transparent about what was going on. Like to the extent of we, the customer numbers were being posted everywhere, even with these people who didn't work at Armoire anymore, because we wanted people to know exactly what was going on so that they could make their own educated decision. Because I think furlough was different in every state, but for us, people were getting paid, but they could still they still had an impetus to look for a new job and they needed to. And so we didn't want people to to have. Asymmetric information where they were holding on for us when you know they couldn't, and so we tried to be as transparent as possible about like w- of course we were still optimistic, and to your point, that's why I was still there. I thought at some point this thing is gonna turn around in two weeks now, <laughs> yeah, you gotta give people all the information that they can, and so I'm super proud of the warehouse team to see everybody like hold together like that. And, you know, some, for some people, it wasn't the right decision to come back and they're still part of our family and there's not hard feelings between like what pe- the decisions people had to make.
1: Well, I feel like we have so much more to talk about and we definitely will. Let's have a, we're going to do a whole event in Entrepreneurs League where you can come talk to everyone on Zoom. They can come ask you questions because I feel like you have so many more incredible stories to share and learning lessons. And while I would love to continue this conversation for two to three more hours, I'm sure you do have afternoon uh, work plans and family plans. So my final question for you is, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you?
0: It is the greatest honor of my career. I always say that Armara was my first child, and I really do feel like that. You get this opportunity to build something that is the amalgamation of all the humans that work there that buy from you that give you feedback that hold up the business and your opportunity is to like leave behind something positive in this world and like really I don't know it is the most inspiring thing in that way like what else can all of us sort of like sign up to for all of our effort other than like I want to leave something behind that is great and that brings people joy and so to me being an entrepreneur is such an honor and I'm really grateful that I get to sit in this seat.
1: Well, you are doing incredible things, and I am so excited to continue to stay in touch and be part of your journey and anything we can do to help share your mission. You are helping so many entrepreneurs, not just by sharing, but from the incredible product you've created. So where can everyone find you, follow you in Armoire? And I know you have a special discount code for our community as well.
0: Yeah, so Armoire is, you can find us at www.armoire.style. We are a rented closet. And so what that means is that we own hundreds of thousands, literally pieces of clothing that span everything from athleisure to gowns. And with your subscription, you can rent as many things as you want for as long as you want. And so we do all of the dry cleaning and the shipping and the curation. So that's all included in your membership. The way that the app works is quite different than perhaps some of the other e-commerce experiences that you've been with. We use your own feedback, both about style and fit, to recommend things to you so that we deliver an efficient and delightful shopping experience. So what you should imagine is like if we were the boutique on your street and we knew you and we knew what was going on in your lives and we could hold something out to you and say, hey, Steph, you should try this. That's what we're doing at Armoire. And so you both get the rented closet as well as your best friend sort of recommending things to you. So find us at armoire.style. We have a special code to make it easy. It's Entreprenista, and it will give you 50% off and two bonus items for your first month.
1: Yes. Highly, highly recommend it. It has been a lifesaver as I've been trying to find what to wear for Entrepreneurista 100 event. And then after that, we'll be in new Zoom tops, which I'm excited about too. So everyone check it out. We'll link out to everything in the show notes below. Thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.